There's no two ways about it. This is going to be a very challenging time for people who are trying to do socialization. However, what you need to do is is focus on giving your dog as much life experience and access as you possibly can. When you're still allowed to go out on social distancing walks, take advantage of that. Let the dog see the, the wide open world. Let the dog see access to traffic. What we need to be focusing on, as we always would, in, regardless of, of this pandemic or not, is we still need to be exposing our dog to various forms of stimuli, whatever's available to us, and then making sure that the dog understands that I don't need to feel anything really about it. Okay, I don't need to be invested heavily in it. And that's the great thing about developing a social habitual environment for the dogs is the dogs don't need to um, feel excited about seeing a car and they don't need to feel scared about seeing a car. Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host Panos Anagnostu. And I'm your co-host Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. All right. oh, so it's, recording. it's all, it's all on the record now so don't say anything you don't want. all right well welcome glenn on the show thanks mate it's really really good to have you yeah it's great to be here it's good to uh well i've known you for many years but um i've never had the pleasure of meeting luke personally before so hi luke hey nice to meet you mate um we're meeting amongst um strange times unfortunately very strange uh, you know, the the beauty of technology is that we can still get most of our daily lives done over the internet now. So it's good. Mm. Well, it's given us the opportunity to sort out our electronic way of having meetings and, um, and yeah, you're our first guest on the show. So very yeah. happy to have you. Thank you for coming on. Oh, thank, thank you very much for having me. Why does it say my name as a number? Did I enter something wrong? I think you might have <laughs> entered the meeting password as your name. Possibly. <laughs> what an idiot. You are now officially <laughs> a statistic. Yeah I've, already, yeah, I've already embarrassed myself on your show. <laughs> no, no, no never, never. That won't come out in the final edit, so don't worry about it. Ah, perfect. Great. How you been? Yeah, look, I've been, I've been good. I've been, I guess uh, I'm, I'm, I'm as good as you could be under the situation that we're all in. Um, I think the difficult part for all of us right now is we're trying to make heads and tails of what's going on around us. It's a, you know, you started the show by saying it's strange times. It is strange times. It's something that um, a lot of people are asking questions about. People are asking me questions. I mean, in my role of leadership in certain things, people are coming to me and saying, you know, what do we do? And the difficult part is, is that I'd some. I've got answers to some things, but many things I do not. And I think that's what people are finding most challenging is we've never had to deal with something like this before where we're told stay home and don't go out. Yeah. You know, don't go to restaurants, don't go to parties, don't go to weddings and funerals, don't um, don't go to work, uh, don't ride your motorbike on the weekends, don't go train your dogs. Uh, this is a – it's very confronting. 
Mm. Yeah. 100%. It's the biggest change we've had to our lifestyle ever. Like it's, I think that is the hardest mm-hmm. part is that no, I don't think anyone, there's no easy choices. Like I was talking to my brother about this before. He's a physio and he was sort of saying like part of him thinks like, you know, is all this lockdown necessary the best choice? And I said, well, I said, there's no easy choices. Like, um, because you either have an overrun hospital system or you have the situation that we're in now where we're all locked down in, in order to avoid that being overrun. Um, so there's, there's yeah, no well, it's not just, uh, yeah, it's not just the hospital system. It's, it's also killing our elderly loved ones as well because yeah, they're yeah. allegedly they're the, the ones mostly at risk. And, I mean, what a horrific thought that you could have been the person that killed your grandparents or your aunts and uncles or your parents or whatever, even siblings, you know, like it's it's just a, a horrendous burden for many people to to comprehend. You know, I mean, we've just had a lot of um, backwards and forwards about the ship that was allowed to dock on uh, New South Wales port and what a colossal screw up that was. Uh, that That's, I mean, yeah, that needs some answers. I mean, there's a lot of head scratching going on there right now. And I, I think we all need to know who allowed that to happen and why. But Unfortunately, you know, there's a there's a lot of smarter people than us out there and, and one of the people that I refer to in times like this, which is something that I've spoken to about to my work colleagues about, there's a there's a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People by Stephen Covey. And in yep. there he talks about the circles that manifest in your life and one is the circle of concern and the circle of influence. Um and if you can't influence something, then you shouldn't spend your time trying to be concerned about it. And I guess that's the problem for us is that there's nothing that any of us could be it could have done. We can be angry and outraged about it. We can feel things about it and we're entitled to. But the problem is, is we can't change what's been done. And unfortunately, we have to deal with the consequences of, of that. So, you know, as profound as that may sound, it's, it's certainly something that helps people keep their sanity in check a little bit when they're thinking about the deeper layers of things is where we're trying to get involved in things that we don't have the powers to uh, resolve. But one thing we do have the power to do is not infect other people. And I guess that's why our world leaders or our, you know, our spiritual leaders, our local leaders, our business leaders are encouraging people to do their part and, and flatten that curve. Uh, and and that's something that we do have potential to do something about. Yeah, hundred percent. I read I read someone saying, um, you know, on that lack of control point, um, that some a psychologist was saying that's he he thought that was one of the biggest reasons why people are going out and 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 hoarding when they buy and be it toilet paper or whatever else. It's like a small semblance of control in a in an otherwise uncontrollable situation. This is like the one thing that I can do or, or feel like I can do is to go out and buy a ridiculous amount of food or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, bro. Well, yeah. look, man, like no, no one's, no one's real. When I say no one as the general population aren't really doing the time of finding themselves and being at peace with themselves, whether it's whatever ritual or, or practice they do. So now that we've all hit rock bottom, everyone's trying to find some sense of salvation and it's, and it's kind of the, the common trade of most people try to find God once they've already hit rock bottom and I think it's important that like for me personally like I think that because we're in these times of uncertainty no one knows what the hell's going on 
And because of that, it's bringing up a lot of anxiety, fear, and, and the rest of it, which it should because it's a survival mechanism. But, um, but it's really important to keep ourselves busy and to keep ourselves in control with what we can influence, as what Glenn was saying, rather than trying to talk about the, the bigger picture of what's going on because really what can we do except for look after ourselves at the best ability that we can. So, you know, I've, I've been seeing some clients keeping ourselves outdoor and at distance and I feel everyone's kind of in the same boat. I don't see anyone as being overly freaked out. I see everyone as we're just concerned. We're not sure what to do, but um, everyone's just carrying on. But it is still early days. We've still got a couple of months of this crazy. Yeah, that's so. it. It's like the first couple of weeks of what could be six months or more of living like this. Who, who knows? Hmm. Yeah, it's weird. Weird, weird, weird. Well, the main thing is, is with these type of things is, there's a lot of people who are messaging me kindly enough to do health checks and which I've been um, trying to encourage people through the canine paradigm or any other medium that I've got any influence over is to say to people, reach out, you know, like remember your brothers, your brothers and sisters in arms at this time, because we're all going through a a profound time. So it, it is nice. There are people who deal well with this type of thing. Like for argument's sake, Narelle is, um, she doesn't mind um, alone time. She actually functions quite well in it because she keeps herself occupied. Uh, she studies and she does her work. And for her, you know, she can still live her best life not having to worry about um, she's not a social butterfly. So she doesn't really, it doesn't affect her. Whereas for me, you know, not going out and um, being able to ride with the boys, like that is, that is complete punishment. Like today is a beautiful Sunday. The sun is out. Um, the road is beckoning for me and I'm not allowed to go out, you know, and I mean that is that is really punishing. So, you know, getting back to that point, it is important that uh, during this time that we just remember um, some people who may not be coping so well and uh, just reach out to them. Just do a, you know, even if it's on Facebook or Zoom or Skype, we've got so many platforms and mediums these days that we can make contact with people and just say, how are you doing? You know, like, would you like a chat or... Um, would you like to talk about dog training? Would you like to talk about something of interest to you? There are, there are lots of things. Um, I know that a, a colleague of mine that I'm in the ISCP with, uh, Jason Cohen, he does virtual dinners with people over in, uh, over in America. So um, I was chatting in, to him the other day on Facebook and I said, you know, how's things going? He said, yeah, man, good. Can I talk to you later? I'm just doing a virtual dinner with um, my mate Byron and, and Jason Visconti. And I said, oh, man, that's cool. Like, tell me about it when you've got time. What, what are you doing? And he said, it's just a, you know, rather than spending dinner alone in my apartment in New York, because he's in the epicenter of where it's all going on at the moment over in America, um, he's, he's really stuck in confinement. So he said, rather than sitting in this little unit by myself where, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about no work and all the bills and everything like that, I've got um, time where I can sit down and, and enjoy a meal and talk to my friends and we can, ha- we can have dinner together. Like you're not touching people, but I mean, look at this technology that we've got now where the three of us can look at each other and we can have a three-way conversation. And, it, you know, even though we're not physically in the room with each other, it still feels like we've got some um, connection with each other and it's wonderful. And I think this, this is the sort of thing that people have to realise for now, this is our interaction with each other. But could yeah, you imagine, yeah. could you imagine, like let's not even worry 100 years ago, could you imagine 30 years ago where, you know, it would be telephone, one telephone at a time. You wouldn't be able to conference people. You know, you might be able to talk to your neighbours across the fence or anything like that. But, uh, I mean, we're, we're 
for this to happen in our time, I mean, imagine the days of the Spanish flu where that was like over 100 years ago where, you know, it was would have just been pandemonium and unknown and there wouldn't have been the information that people know and, you know, surgeons and doctors certainly didn't have the technology that they do today. Like, it is a terrible thing. It's a burden. It's a stressful time. It's a time where it's really going to challenge people mentally and physically. But the reality is we get far more access to it. We know and we can track it and we can see it a little bit better. Uh, it doesn't take away the sting of how inconvenient it is and how horrible it is and how daunting it is, but we do have, we are, well, what I'm trying to say is we have a better level of preparedness. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Well, hopefully uh, even, after even, all of this. Sorry. You go, you go bro. You go. <laughs> we were just talking, <laughs> we were talking about this before we, before we um, dialed you in, Glenn, we were like, it's, that, that's probably the one uh, disadvantage of something like this is because you're not across the table from each other and there's like probably a slight lag in the audio as well. It, it, you can end up in a situation where you're talking on top of each other as we've clearly demonstrated. Um, there you go, exactly. But we were saying, I was thinking... That, the rope you know, too. Yeah. You know, even even five or ten years ago would have been, would have been different. Like, you know, five, let's say aside from being able to talk to each other, um, five years ago we didn't have Netflix, you know, we didn't have... Um, the NBN. So we, we had very poor internet connections. We probably wouldn't be able to do this on a crappy old internet line that we had exactly. three years ago, you know? Well, hopefully after all this, we've realized how spoilt we are and mm. that we have so much at our fingertips and we have to, you know, practice a bit of um, gratitude, like attitude for gratitude, you know, like have, have the mm. gratitude for all the things that we have rather than complaining. Like we have so many resources, let's make the most of it. And and, you know, live to fight another day, basically. And I guess the other thing too, Panos, and this is directed more at you because, I, I, as I said before, I don't know Luke as well. Um, well, I don't really know Luke uh, apart from the podcast, but I know you quite well and I know your spiritual connection to people. Like you're very, even though you're a young guy, you're an extremely enlightened person. Like you've got a very, very old head on young shoulders. And... You know, like you, you are a bit of a, a a leader in that sort of field as well, because you've got your Facebook group where you uh, encourage people to come and and spread a bit of love and a bit of fellowship with each other, which I think is absolutely fantastic. And in times like this, in dire times, you know, people like yourself and like Birdie are very important people to speak to because, um, and that can be incredibly draining on on you guys as well. But the 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 fact is, is that you give people hope and you give them um, something else to focus on rather than all the terrible stuff that the news is trying to inject into you. I mean, basically the news is is like a heroin dealer and, you know, they're, they're just trying to give you your, your hit of, of shitty medicine, um, whereas people like yourself and Birdie and, and many others who are invested in better news, give people something to hope for and something to focus towards. So I really do find value and, and importance in that right now. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. And I think it's really important that, that, that we continue it. You know, um, there's a quote that I saw is that keep doing what you have to do because you don't know who you're inspiring, you know. So that encourages us to always perform the best that we can because you don't know who's watching and it could be just a little kid across the road that you um, have changed their day or whatever. So yeah, Exactly. Well, there are some, there are great stories that I've read in the past about that where people have thought I never really made an impact on anyone's life. And yet, you know, it's like the movie Mr. Holland's Opus with Richard Dreyfus, and where 
if you haven't seen that movie, it's a beautiful movie about a music teacher uh, and he's he doesn't realise the impact he's had on so many people's lives and yet, um, you know, as he's an elderly guy, so many of his students and, and people that he's taught in the past to have achieved things all honour him and it, it just is a lovely movie and it's very moving and that's the type of thing that sometimes people don't know what they've done for other people. They don't know what they mean to other people. It, it can be awkward to tell people what you mean to them at times, you know, it can be quite a, quite a challenge for people, you know, like hearing um, I love you or something like that from, from a colleague. Some people say it freely. Like I'll give you an example. I, I mean, you tell me you love me and, and, and vice versa. Um, and Brent Dry is another person who he is, um, very uh, vocal about that type of thing, but Brent means it as well, you know, like it's not contrived when he's saying it. Um, and, and that's nice to hear, but some people don't know how to show you appreciation or don't know how to communicate appreciation to you. Sometimes your dog training clients don't know how to do it. And sometimes you walk away thinking, oh, maybe, maybe I'm not um, the right teacher for this person. Maybe they don't really uh, appreciate what I'm trying to do here or anything like that. But it, it is... Um, and, and that's just, you know, your own internal insecurities, I guess. But sometimes it's amazing that you hear from other people. Like I've heard things from people before who it's been third-hand information where they've said, oh, you know, my, my friend did a lesson with you and you, you changed their life. Like the things that you did with their dog. And I've heard that from about other colleagues who have, who have helped people in the industry as well before. And I thought, well, that would have been nice to know for me and for the other people because that type of, it re it, it it affirms it gives you affirmations that you're on the right track that you're doing the right thing. Um, however, you know it's like I said, it's not always easy for people to do. Sometimes they just don't know how to show um, appreciation, and sometimes they think they have. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I totally agree with that, and and that's what I said as I was saying before is that you know develop on yourself and start to get to know who you are away from the distractions of life. So you Mm. you don't always, it's nice to get like when you you mention me on your podcast, I feel good. Right. And I listen to every single episode. Um, So it does make me feel good. There's a mechanism to it, but you should, people shouldn't have to also rely on that external motivation, find it within, but you do need a balance of both and you need to find the people that you resonate with as well. So, you know, it's, it's hard because we do live very busy lives ordinarily and that we are separated somewhat through technology, but now technology's done the flip on us and brought us together. So I don't. Life's full of paradoxes all the time, and you just got to be opportunistic in the way that you see it. But no, I mm. appreciate what you're saying, man. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think Socrates said it best when he said, "Know thyself." Um, I, those those three words, uh, in, especially now, like people are really going to start learning about themselves because they're going to be spending more time with themselves. Uh, And that's a difficult thing because people are very critical of themselves or they try and mask who they are and they try and um, disguise their true selves to fit into the lives of other people. And that that's a a difficult thing. Um, And, you know, late last year when Pat and I went to uh, America and we were doing some things there, I had a bit of a, an epiphany on being authentic and it was quite profound. I'll tell you about it someday when I'm off air um, because it's a long story and it, and it's quite um, it's personal and it's quite involved, but it was, it was a real, um, a wake up call about how important it is to be authentic because although I think 
it's entertaining to be someone else sometimes. It's not always the real person. And I think sometimes people, well, I'll give you an example. Doing the podcast was a wake-up call for me about how important it is to be authentic because people used to reach out and say, look, please don't change the tempo of the show. We're liking what you guys are doing. We don't want you to turn into a couple of jerks who, you know, it becomes all about the money or whatever it is, is just, just have real discussions with people. And I feel that that's very important is, is that's where being contrived really starts to break it down for people. Like they listen to it and say, oh, you know, it's changed you and you've become more about um, being self-important rather than being real. And I, I think that people really resonate with the real side of things. And I certainly do when I'm listening to other people's podcasts is I like real conversations. I like really finding about really finding out about people and what they do and who they are. I said this to my mum a while back when I was talking to her, I know we're, this is a dog training podcast and we're sort of getting heavily involved in the philosophy of life, but I had, I had a conversation with my mum and I said, one of the saddest things that I've grown to realise the older I've gotten is that I'm finding out more about people from the eulogies than I knew about them in life. And I think mm-hmm. that that's, that's terribly sad um, that, you know, you'll go to somebody's funeral and you'll find out all these things that they did and all these wonderful achievements that they had during their life. And yet when you, when you sit down with them in person, you have no idea of some of the things that they did in their past or some of the skill sets that they had or that they, their achievements or some of the people that they rub shoulders with, you know, some of the amazing journeys, journeys that they went on. And I think that's because we forget to have meaningful and authentic conversations with people at times. And this is why I love doing the, the podcast show is, is you get to learn about people, who they are and what inspires them and what things they, what loves they have in life. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. It's definitely a different quality of conversation when you sit down with a microphone as well. I think there's something about doing a podcast. It's just, it changes. Um, it brings more intent to the conversation, I think, rather than just ban. It's not just banter or chit chat. Um, yeah. You know, and, and the best podcasts, it's like, you know, I was listening to Rogan before and his, all his episodes are like this. It's like being a fly on the wall. You know, it's not contrived in any sense. It's not really, it's not an interview per se. It's more just a, a few people having a good chat about a given topic. Yeah, that's, that's the part is you get to be a passenger in a great conversation. And not only that, you get to learn about the vulnerabilities and the education or the, the passions of people. So it, it really does break down to a wonderful conversation sometimes. And um, like you, Luke, I enjoy listening to Brogan and, and many of the other um, terrific podcasters. Um, you know, one of the, one of the people that I really enjoy on the dog training side of things, um, one of many is Jerry Bradshaw, um, controlled aggression. And he's, um, he's a bit of a philosopher in himself and he really does have uh, a deep dive and think into things, but you know, I, I could drop names all day long, like Jerry Bradshaw and Chad Macken and Jay Jack, you know, I, I love listening to Jay too. Jay has a very profound way of thinking, um, and, you know, I enjoy listening to your podcast too. As you guys have started to go and get your um, – started to find your feet in things, you, you, you two are starting to have a really good, inclusive conversation. Thank you. Thanks, brother. And Thanks, I appreciate brother. all the love that the two of you show towards um, Pat and myself as well. 
Well, especially Very for me yeah. going into it, like, um, unlike Panos, you know, and I, I, I looked to listen to a lot of your episodes because that was, for me, that was the best source to learn about a lot of this stuff. And, and it had come to me recommended from Panos anyway, because he had that, um, that relationship with you. So, and then I just turned out to love the show anyway. So, you know, it, it was no effort for me to go and listen to them because they're genuinely enjoyable episodes. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's um, it, it's always, like you said, it's very nice to get good feedback and know that what you're doing isn't just, um, isn't just something that you're just producing for the sake of producing, but it actually has some form of merit for people as well. Like in order for people to want to tune into the show and, and pay attention to what you've got going on, there's got to be a, um, a meaning behind the conversation rather than just talking shit and, and just making it about yourself. Mm. It's a conversation mm. where there there is it actually gets to a point. Um, you know, and I mean I'm I'm a I'm the king of waffling at times. You know, I really um I really spin up a bit of waffle here and there. But the reality is is that I've got a great co host in the show and uh it, it keeps things when we derail a little bit it helps keep things on track and get back to what was the point of the conversation. Hundred percent, bro. Well, how about we? How about you give the audience a little bit of a background of you know what do you love about dogs and you know what do you do for the dog training industry and talk a little bit about your podcast. Do you want me to start at the beginning or just um, where we are today? Whatever you like, my brother. Going with the flow. All right. Well, I guess we'll I I'll compress it into where we where I started at at the beginning. Um, like most people, I was, uh, my enthusiasm in dogs came from being a young guy, having a dog. My first ever dog was a German shepherd and, uh, first dog that I remember having. And I just absolutely loved her. Uh, she was just my most favorite companion. I had a pretty unsettled childhood. I wasn't really, um, a very happy child. Uh, just, you know, like most people, there's, there's things that happen in life and there's a lot of unsettling things that, um, go on in childhood. And um, I found solace in spending time with my dog. So it was a female German Shepherd called China. And no, she's not the password to any of my accounts. So that's, that's not going to do you any, any, any favor. But um, I, uh, I'd come home from school and I just, you know, I lived in um, a very, um, in the hills region of um, Melbourne, a place called Belgrave. And, uh, we used to, I just used to come home from school and nothing was fenced back then. It was just houses on the sides of hills and beautiful green ferns and just forests that go on forever. And her and I would just go out into the forest and, you know, I'd make cubbies or, you know, pretend to be a hunter or something like that with my dog. And we'd just hang out in the forest together. And I just, I would spend literally days exploring with her by my side. And it was just fantastic. I, you know, for spending, people are complaining about spending a lot of solo time. I used to spend a heap of solo time with my dog just hanging out in the forest and never got bored of it. You know, like every day was, I was so excited to get home from school just so I could go and play with my dog. And my uh, my beloved uncle, excuse me for a sec. <coughs> my beloved uncle, uh, Lee Cook, um, who died when I was um, when I was in my teens, I used to spend a hell of a lot of time with him as well. And he was a fisherman and a hunter and um, just a really, he was a mischief. He was a fun guy to be around. I really enjoyed 
his company and and um, his mentorship. He used to teach me a lot of things about making fishing lures and how to fish and how to make burley and what type of hooks to use. Um, he was one of those uncles that just invested a lot of lot of time in me as well. But he had a Waimarana, so he used to do um, some some bird flagging and shooting as well. And uh, he used to take me out. So I unfortunately my job was cleaning the birds after after he shot them. Um, cause we'd always eat what we caught, what we, what he shot. It wasn't just one of those game hunters. Um, but, uh, you know, we used to, we used to utilize it as well. So spending time with Lee was amazing. He really gave me an education in dog training as well. And I had another uncle Ray that used to live on a farm and he had, uh, he, he was predominantly a wheat farmer, but he had a, uh, like a heap of heads of, um, of sheep as well. So I got to watch him herding sheep and I used to sit on the tractor with him while he would uh, bring the sheep in with the dog. And it was just amazing watching this dog work and, and all he was doing was using different tones. And I now know them as markers and or, or um, paired cues to the dog that he was giving at the time. But for me, it was just sorcery at the time. Watching him sit there and work with the dog, it was just incredible. So that vested my interest. That's where my interest grew in training and um you know, I had different a variation of different pets when I was living at home with my parents, but I finally left home one day when I was 18. I, I went into a shared house with a group of friends and my, my then girlfriend, and um, I bought a, a dog out of the training post, uh, a dog that uh, his, I named him Harley, and he was sort of the, the dog that taught me or schooled me the most during my entire career as being a dog trainer. And it, he pretty much launched me from there. I, I went on to... Um, just learning off books and, and um, VHS tapes back in the day because we didn't have the technology that exists now. Um, but uh, I went out and started training him on the field. He was a little puppy. I did heaps of socialization with him. And the fortunate thing with me, I was heading in all the right directions um, without the mentorship and the advice that exists today. Like if you wanted advice on dog training then, like you had to go looking for it. Like you literally had to get on a bus or get in your car and drive across town and speak to somebody or go to the library and get a book or there. I mean, we are, you, you said before Panos, we're spoiled now. You've got no idea how spoiled we are. Like it is incredible. The, the mountains of information. I mean, some of it is terrible. Don't get me wrong, but there is a plethora of terrific information out there as well. There is, there is access to some of the world's best mentors. And even now they're offering discount rates to go and have a chat with them and so forth. And if you don't take them up, you're an absolute fool. But the reality is, is back then you just didn't have that. It wasn't available to people. Um, and the great fortune it was, is that people weren't so um, there, there wasn't such a, a stigma about dogs in public back then. There weren't so many laws and there, there weren't so many rules. You know, there were more dogs um, that were in the neighbourhood. Um, and, you know, there, there, were, there were problems back then, which is the reason why all these laws came out. But the, people were more rule-minded. They were more forgiving of dogs and more accepting that dogs would be in the neighbourhood and socialising and barking. And that's what dogs did. You know, and if there were problems, people would come over to the neighbour and say, look, shut your dog up instead of, making it a council issue. It was a bit more friendly, a bit more forgiving about things like that. However, getting back on track, uh, I spend a lot of time learning about things that I could do with my dog. And the one great thing that I learned predominantly back then was socialization, how important it was. 
And then I, uh, um, I had the very, very good fortune, um, one of my martial arts teachers, a guy called Boyd Hooper, I went and did um, school with him. And, um, well, sorry, I was doing a training session with him one day and he, you know, we were talking about my pup and he said, mate, I'm, I've got a professional dog training company. Why aren't you training with me? And long story short, I thought he was a greyhound trainer. I didn't realize he was, he was doing dog training per se. So I, I um, collected myself together, went down to his school one day and the rest is history from there. That really, I mean, it was like, like a child, a small child going into a toy shop or a lolly shop and just seeing all the scope of potential that existed (coughs) as it was just amazing. I mean, they were doing, they were predominantly focused on the working dog aspect and side of things. And it was just incredible to see what people were doing with their dogs. I mean, you know, dogs doing um, what we know as Holden Barks. If you've ever watched any, um, sporting dog work. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. Never imagined that I would be uh, surrounded by people that had that level of, of discipline or information or education. And um, it, was, it was just amazing. And I met uh, a lady called Kylie Bright, who I've referenced on the canine paradigm many times. Kylie was my original puppy mentor and she really was for the time, for the time in, in dog training, she was she was the best around in, in teaching puppy socialization. Like she did everything and anything involved in getting those pups to be socialized. I mean, you know, we, the good thing is, is that we all had access to each other back then, but Kylie was very, she was very nurturing, very supportive. Um, she didn't put up with anyone's bullshit, but she had a great way of making you feel welcomed and making you feel like you were getting something important of it. I mean, you were always looking off into the distance and thinking about the future, about what you could do with your dog and never realizing at the time that what you were doing was setting yourself up for the future and that magnificent um, um, what you, foundation that we were learning at the time I mean, if I had my time back again, I really wish that um, as a young guy that I wasn't thinking so much towards the future and I was more invested in the here and now of what we were doing. I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't ruin the time I had, but I, I guess you're always dreaming about what could possibly come next. But it was absolutely fantastic. Um, and then from there, I, I, I went on to, you know, spending a lot of time training my dog and finally got into the educational side where a position was offered to me to actually do uh, the NDTF, which had pretty much just launched at that point in time. And I think that was in 1990. Um, So it's going back sometime now, 30 years ago. And when I, when I actually watched um, the the, the scope of works unfolding and, and what they were doing, I thought this is just fantastic and we had access to some brilliant people. I mean, Boyd was so enthusiastic at that point in time. He was traveling around um, the US and wherever he could go to learn from people all over the world. So we had access to people like Dr. Stuart Hilliard and um, and Tom Rose and, and various different people like that. Um, and even um, Dr. Robert Holmes, who is a veterinary behaviorist and just an absolutely fantastic wealth of knowledge. So we were again for the for the the limited amount of information that we had we were very spoiled on what we did have and and the access to it 
Uh, and, you know, we were working with breeders. We were working with police groups, with military from Boyd's Connections. And, I mean, I was a young kid back then. I was 20. Um, and I was really just immersed in a world that I didn't understand and had no comprehension of. Uh, and it wasn't long before it became the new normal for me. Like it, it became something that I was, um, I felt very comfortable in and I was speaking the same language as everybody else was during that point in time. And I guess, you know, arrogantly I could, I could say that for what it was and the time frame it was, we were the best around with what we were doing. People might look back and say, oh, well, you know, we were doing awesome things too. But for, for Australian dog training, it was, it was just an outstanding platform. I mean, I know things have progressed now and there's, there's so much access and um, there's so many new nuances in science and so forth. And we really have progressed um, extensively into new knowledge and access into academic and pragmatic style of training. But like I'm saying, back then for what it was, it was just exceptional. Um, so I was lucky. I really, um, I, I, I embraced a, an educational platform with some outstanding men and women and, uh, it, it just launched me into a fantastic career. So if I fast forward into what I was doing back then, which, um, there's plenty of info on that on the canine paradigm into what I'm doing now is, um, I'm now managing uh, a group of boarding kennels, uh, predominantly uh, Pet Resorts Australia, which is my little logo on my hat here right now. And I'm also um, general manager of um, Canine Evolution. I've got a great little team of people working around me. Um, I'm on the board of directors for the International Association of Canine Professionals, which uh, I would absolutely encourage anybody who's involved in dog training, dog ownership, um, dog management, anything that you're involved in in the canine industry, I'd in, encourage you to get on with um, being a member of there. Um, Pat's been talking about that in, in different platforms that he's been talking to with, with people as well. And if you're going to ask me why would you be a member of the ISCP, I think it's – I, I don't think I know it's an absolutely fantastic body of, of canine professionals from around the world which are – doing outstanding work in so many different regions with so many different draconian laws that are coming in and out that all all we're asking people is to reconsider and to look deeply into things rather than to look emotively into into concerns that are being raised uh, without the proper science to back it up. So, you know, I can't be, I can't praise enough, especially, you know, uh, things like their educational portal, which there's a lady called Julie who is really um, taking that to new levels. And we've got uh, legislative committees, which um, Rick Alto is, uh, is heading. And he's got a fantastic group of people there who are really watchdogging the entire world for incorrect assumptions that are made into training and tools and so forth. So as a membership body, I, I, I can't endorse it enough. I don't want. I don't want to make this a just a. I get a onto it. I'm a, I'm a professional member too. Yeah, good on you, man. Out there, hundred yeah. percent. It really does. Um, it echoes the thoughts and the concerns of of people who are in the balance sphere of training, and I'll use the word balance because that's what most people uh, recognise as a term that's been touted in the industry quite a bit. But it very much is important for all of us to be able to have conversations with 
ministers and lawmakers who are being influenced either one way or another. And rather than them just looking at it being popular or relevant in order to make a change of what people are doing, what we what we can do as a membership body is have them look at it and say, hang on a minute, you're ignoring all the science, um, you're ignoring all the problems associated with it with dog ownership. Um, what, just as a bit of a... I guess is a little bit of a sidetrack for two seconds. Have you guys seen the Tiger King movie or documentary that's yeah, on the Thanos was just Netflix telling and- me about it yesterday, saying to watch it. I haven't watched it yet. But I think yeah. you know, honest. Yeah. 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 I, I have I've watched it. You've watched it all, Panos, so or you've yeah, halfway all of through. It. Yeah. The one thing that um th- there's so many parallels in the Tiger King um yeah. documentary in the in that are in the dog training community as well at the moment. And that you know, like I laughed a lot at the at the doco, the Tiger King, and I also I was incredibly sad about it at the same time because, as I said before, there are parallels that are in our own industry and concerns that I've got uh, with that as well. One of the one of the areas that um, well, first and foremost, what I want to encourage people to do is watch that documentary and learn from it. One of the areas I really want people to learn from is that they started off with very good intentions and as soon as money and and um, attention or uh, fame got involved in it, it very much corrupted the people that they, who they were and who they turned into. Mm. And that's something that I've seen predominantly in the dog world as well. It happened to me in my early career. You know, when you're catapulted into um, an area of not really being well-known into an area of being well-known, well-known, I should say, it can it can have a profound effect on who you are and, and what you stand for. And fortunately for me, I had um, I had good mentors who sort of gave me a, a clip in the ear and said, "Pull your socks up. You, you, you know, you're not that important that you can't remember that your your position in this community is about service to other people." And yeah. that's I guess that's a really yeah. good community message that that um, people need to embrace. There was another point that I was going to try and bring up about the Tiger King, but I can't remember what it was because I waffled like too the much. Politics, politics between styles of, you know, like the emotion side of things compared yes. to, yeah. Thank you, Panos. Um, what, what I did want to say was um, people that I've had a conversation around the whole Tiger King Tiger King um, doco, they've said things like, oh, you know, it's terrible. People shouldn't own tigers. That You know, I'm really against that type of thing. And I've said, okay, well, that's an interesting point because there are um, animal welfare agencies and animal, um, you know, organizations that are totally against us owning dogs and cats or any kind of domestic yeah, pet yeah. and any animal. So the issue is is if you're owning a tiger or a lion or a bear or whatever it is and that animal is being kept well and it's being uh, looked after and it's it's been stimulated and it's being cared for in a close to natural environment, if you've got a setup like that, well, you know, effectively you're working with conservation. You're helping preserve an animal that would probably be hunted or um, there's there's a range of things that would happen. I agree that they're big cats and they should be out in the wild. But once they're domesticated, that's the life they understand and that's the life they know. So if they're being cared for fine, then I don't have an issue with it. 
What I do have an issue with it is when they're exploited, but that happens with every kind of domestic pet that we've got as well. So there are people right now knocking on doors and, and speaking to, to parliamentarians uh, and buying up stocks in social media and, and anywhere that people can ad- advertise saying, I don't want you to own a dog or a cat. Yeah. And that day may come where that will become a very challenging point when you get a, um, a politician who's trying to make a name for themselves, who's trying to look for um, that one way to validate their position. They may turn around to the general public and say, well, you know, we need to have a discussion on the ownership of dogs and cats because, yeah. well, when you're, when you're pulling at a thread on something, it, you know, it only takes a little, it takes a lifetime to, well, not a lifetime, but it takes a lot of time to knit a jumper. But, you know, one or two threads that people keep tugging on, you can unravel it in, in a fraction of the time. And that's the disappointing thing about it is that people will use um, emotion. Um, they will come at you with a bunch of pseudoscience uh, and they will change your mind about those type of things. So what I encourage people to do is rather than look at it from my side or their side, I guess what I'm, I'm advising people or encouraging them to do is – don't be so swayed by emotion. Look into it a little bit more deeply. Do some research on it. Um, know a little bit about your subject matter rather than just getting um, uh, cognitive bias. Cognitive bias is a very dangerous thing. It's something that we're all guilty of to some degree, and that is you just need a shred. Sapolsky talks about this in his book, um, Behave. But if you listen to... Uh, just a tiny, tiny bit of evidence in your direction, you'll, it'll totally um, convince you that you're on the right trajectory and you'll stay in that sort of mindset as well. It's incredibly dangerous. So for the listeners out there, even for you guys, even for myself, there are times that I have to remind myself, please don't just jump on the bandwagon. Don't get so emotionally invested in it because the Tiger King doco will, um, that will rock the world. Like um, what, uh, Blackfish did for the the SeaWorld industry. Yeah. Good things come of it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there is exploitation in animal industries all over the world, and those things definitely need to change. Where where suffering and inhumane conditions are uh, are being um, encouraged or performed in any sort of animal management or ownership, those things definitely need to change. Um, however, when you know, if you look at the impact that animals do have on our life and when people are doing the right things and the conditions for you know pets is met uh, and I've been on advisory panels for that as well when they're all being met there is no problem those like I said some of those animals don't know any other way than a domestic way of life and they're they're happy with it but there are certain things that need to be met I think that's the flip side of um, what we were talking about earlier you know the fact that we can do this meeting over a fantastic piece of technology, the fact that you've built a very successful podcast now through social media and, and similar, but that's the flip side of it is that you can, people can take social media and they can create these little echo chambers in whatever direction they want. Like hmm. you said, that confirmation bias, so someone sees that they have something in their head, oh, people should own dogs or this is, abu-, you know, balance training is abusing dogs. Da, 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 da. They find a little bit of someone agreeing with them online and then they're, they're sucked into it and then and it grit it gathers this this huge mass. It's like a black hole, right? You just get sucked into it. Yeah, exactly. It is just a vacuum where um, people get drawn into it. And, it, you know, Pat and I and, and several of my other colleagues talk about this on a regular basis. 
and it does come from a, a place of love. They're not bad people. You know, a lot of these, um, a, a lot of people who appear as zealots or, or as, as they're touted in the industry as crazies, many of them are, are very caring and very empathetic people. However, they've just been fed a lot of convenient information that, that sits well for them. And as I said, it is too convenient to buy into that propaganda. So what they need to do and what I encourage people to do, there's no point telling people, no, don't do this, no, don't do that, because just like we do in dog training, we get opposition reflex. You'll, you'll say to people, don't do this, and they'll, they'll sway towards the other direction. Uh, and sometimes you just play them right into the hands of the, of the wrong type of people. Um, and, you know, the, the difficulty that I see is that a lot of these people who are really... Um, <sighs> They're, they're, they're spokespeople for a lot of these agencies are the, they're evangelic evangelists. That's the word I'm looking for. You know, they're so charismatic and they're so passionate and they appear on so many levels to have the answers that people are looking for. However, what they also do is they do a lot of damage because they're very emotive driven. And I guess the message, the overall message I'm saying is, don't look at it so much from an emotional level. And when it comes to pets, that's extremely hard. Um, and it is for me as well. I mean, I, I see things that make me so angry and make me, that you know, I just, I can feel so much bitterness and vitriol building inside me when I, when people show me some of these terrible clips that happen and, and just, you know, the, the disdain you feel for, for cultures and so forth when you're looking into it. But you've got to understand sometimes that, you know, yes, it's wrong and education needs to happen, but rather than just everybody um, building a, a Salem witch hunting group, what we need to do is we need to be better informed, know what we're talking about, know the subject matter of what, what needs to happen and the science behind it as well. And that's one thing, you know, I, I get asked regularly, what's, what was my favourite podcast on, uh, on the paradigm? It was the time that I actually spent with um, Roger Brantes because Roger changed my mind about my feelings about um, aggression and about science in general and about the facts that are derived around science. And that is whether you like it or not, the reality is, is when it is scientifically proven, it is a fact. You don't have to like it. You don't have to be in favour for it. But you, the problem is, is you can't argue against it because it's fact. Mm. Well, that's, yeah. a, that, that's the thing about facts. They don't care about your feelings because they're facts. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I mean, as much as I get jack about them sometimes, when, when it is actually proven, when that is, uh, when a group of peers have gotten together and thought, well, there is no argument currently around that with modern science, what we know about today's, uh, where we are today, that is a fact. A fact is a fact. Are you saying before, Glenn, about socialisation, what's the most important thing about socialisation for the, for the listeners to, to think about? One of, the, one of the most profound things I keep encouraging people to remember about socialization is make sure that you're doing it with somebody who is actually invested in it and does have a good background of knowledge. Again, when it gets back to science, you really need to work with somebody who's not just an enthusiastic person, but somebody who is a highly educated pe person. It is one of the career paths that a lot of people take up who are really bubbly, eager, enthusiastic people, but they're the wrong sort of person to take it up. It is in any um, dog training company, 
in any business that's operating, the person who's doing socialization should be one of the highest educated people in that group. Um, there is, I mean, you have such a short window to get it right, especially for dogs. I mean, you know, let's leave children out of this conversation because a, a critical period is the critical period nonetheless. Um, that word was derived from Dr. John Paul Scott and uh, John Fuller. They were the pioneers in this work. You know, I mean, people may have had a bit of an idea around it, but they were the ones who really solidified what the critical period was, how long it goes for, and the importance of it. I mean, it's called the critical period because it's critical. And this is what people absolutely need to understand. I mean, there's terrible information that even is um, uh, encouraged throughout the professional career where people say, don't take your puppies out into public until they're 16 weeks of age. Well, 16 weeks of age is the cutoff point for, for the critical period. So when you are getting puppies, what you do need to do is, because you know, I mean, we're living in a pandemic. We know how easy um, it is to, to, to spread. Well, I mean, coronavirus is, is different than all other virus. But, you know, let's take, for example, parvovirus, which is one of the prolific killers in, in young puppies. It is easy for a puppy to contract um, parvovirus and die from it. You know, it is deadly and it can be quite sinister in puppies. And even if they pull through from it, um, it is a terrible treatment process. It breaks people's hearts. It's very expensive. Uh, there is a list of, of, you know, of cautions that I could go through and veterinary professionals would go through as well. However, lack of socialization kills more dogs like a hundred times fold than what a pathogen does. So the problem, you've, you've got to weigh it up in importance. There are so many dogs that will not get socialized, that won't go out until they're 16 weeks, develop um, some form of aggression or some form of defensive style of behavior, which will get the owner and the dog in hot water, ultimately leading to its destruction. So what I'm saying to people out there, if you've got a puppy, you need to be out there socializing, but you need to be working with a canine professional who understands and has a strong comprehension of what that is, how to do it, where you should go, and the precautions that you should take during that time. How do you think this current situation is going to affect people that have maybe just recently acquired a puppy or, yeah, I guess who have recently got one or are about to? You know, obviously there's a lot of restrictions on day-to-day life now. Cafes are shut. Um, you know, most social situations are locked down now. So, that, you know, and being that it is the critical period, what, what can they do about that? That's a, that's a great question, Luke, and it's one that deserves a lot of contemplation and thought around, uh, and it's something that the the canine professional groups that I'm involved with are thinking about now as well. Um, Pat and I spoke about this on, on an episode the other day that we did, and one of the encouraging aspects, I guess, what you need to do is do the best you can with what you've got available to you. Uh, one of the things that I would certainly encourage people to do would be to download a sound effects CD, um, have as many city noises or as many environmental noises as you could possibly imagine that you would be involved in. You know, if you've got um, access to space, take it up. You know, you won't be seeing the um, the traffic that you would normally see with with your neighbours and, and people in the community at the moment or other dogs out in the street, that's going to be extremely difficult. There's no two ways about it. This is going to be a very challenging time for people who are trying to do socialisation. However, what you need to do is, is focus on giving your dog as much life experience and access as you possibly can. 
when you're still allowed to go out on social distancing walks, take advantage of that. Let the dog see the, the wide open world. Let the dog see access to traffic. What we need to be focusing on, as we always would, in, regardless of, of this pandemic or not, is we still need to be exposing our dog to various forms of stimuli, whatever's available to us, and then making sure that the dog understands that I don't need to feel anything really about it. Okay, I don't need to be invested heavily in it. And that's the great thing about developing a social habitual environment for the dogs is the dogs don't need to um, feel excited about seeing a car and they don't need to feel scared about seeing a car. And the same thing with other people. They just need to realise that this is a part of uh, the neighbourhood community and I can still function fine without it. I can just treat it as neutral. I mean, the people who invested in having a, a training relationship for the, with the dogs, that truly is the best indicator of you're doing the right thing by your dog is that you have a dog that is uh, neutral to a, a social habitual environment, goes out there, sees a bunch of things and goes, yeah, cool. Um, that can coexist in my, in my realm and in my lifestyle and I don't need to really feel or invest too much in it. Yeah, bro. Like um, I put a video up the other day because I've been seeing it within the last week I think the only real sessions I've had with people have been puppies. Everyone else has basically cancelled or rescheduled, which yep. I'm really happy about because even the new people that have called, normally I'm a couple of weeks booked out, but I'm booking them in like the next day sort of thing, is that first of all, it's mm -hmm. hard enough to convince them against what the vet said. So we always have to meet halfway. You know, all right, if you're really concerned, keep off grass areas, highly dog populated areas, etc. cetera. Um, mm -hmm. But now it's even more of a hard thing to convince some people about, We'll get out in the house where they think, no, nah, but we're in lockdown. Well, you, you still need to go out for your exercise, get that puppy out and about, and you have to try to source and work even harder. So there will be like a, I reckon there's going to be a group of COVID puppies, you know, that are going to have more issues in that you're going to start seeing in the next six to 12 months because of what's happened now. So, you know, you've got some neighbours, you know, you can meet a neighbour out the front and go, hey, let's walk up and down the street at a social distance, have a positive experience if you have friends with your dogs, etc. you know, but it's going to be very hard for owners. So I hope they really try hard with their puppies. Yeah, well, it's not only the COVID puppies we're going to have, we're going to have a bit of a COVID society which are going to be more suspicious and distant to each other for a period of time as well. You know, like um, it's one thing to say that, once we get out of here, we're going to want to hug everybody and touch everybody and so forth. And some people will certainly do that where other people, it will push them. You know, I mean, if they were on the edge of becoming a germphobe, they're really going to, uh, that, that's really going to tip them over the mantle, um, which is, you know, that that's fine in itself. But um, if they're involved in a training platform or with a new puppy and so forth, that they're becoming more and more distant to things and they're becoming more anxiety ridden themselves i mean that is something that you know anxiety is can be infectious sometimes when you're anxious in environments and you're um, predominantly an anxious person you can bleed that into your puppy as well i don't want to you know i don't want to burst a bubble for people and make them feel guilty about that i mean you can't help feeling some of these things it's something that um i mean I, i've had anxiety myself um at one period of my life I know how debilitating and how crippling it can be. I, I never jest about it or make fun of it or anything like that or any other mental illness. Um, you know, all I advise people to do in those sort of situations is seek the professional help that they absolutely need during that time. You know, make sure that they're um, whatever they need to do to get themselves through it uh, or, or manage it better or cope with it. Go and 
do what you need to do. Uh, I'm just hoping that, like I said, that this pandemic situation doesn't have too much of a cataclysmic effect where people realise that once this is over, embrace your society. Remember all of the things that we took for granted, you know, like being able to just walk down the coffee shop, sit down at a, at a chair and order a coffee with our puppy under the table. I mean, these things, it, it's, it's absolutely amazing that, that we get to experience these things in our life. And now that we've not got it, you know, we're, we're all sort of sitting in our homes going just something simple, like going out to a restaurant and now that we can't do it, there's so many people going, oh, you know, I can't do it anymore. But it'll come back, you know, it, it, whatever, whatever way it will, it'll come back. And, yeah, you're right, mate. We, we really need to um, make sure that whatever damage has been done with these COVID dogs during this time is that we, as canine professionals, we need to unwind as much as we possibly can with whatever education platforms and portals that are available to us at the time. Now, what I will encourage and, and what you said before, Panos, is people are still coming out and are still allowed currently out in a, like I said, practicing all the social considerations that are in place with our health um, organisations. Do that, definitely. You've got to remember that when you're a um, when you're a, doc, a canine professional and you're going to do a, a socialization, you still are part of that socialization aspect with the dog. You'll be a new person. So what I, what I could even encourage and I could consider as being something that people might be able to do is do a couple of lessons with one person and then do a couple of lessons with another person. So they have a variation on people that they can meet. Again, you know, we do have to be considered at this time that we're not part of spreading the, the, the COVID issue. But, you know, at distances, that dog can still see and meet with other canine professionals. Um, so you could share around a little bit of work instead of just going, oh, well, I've got myself a little training dog here. It's all me, me, me. You could say, okay, sure. do two with me and my colleague who's, you know, in the next neighborhood, not too far from you. Let's book two sessions with them as well so you can do two lessons with them. You know, I mean, work is precious at the moment and I get that and some people would be going, are you mad? You know, like every every little bit I've got counts at the moment and I, and I do agree and I sympathise. I don't know, mate, it, this is new to me as well. We're all yeah. sort of trying to nut this out as best as we possibly can. Tell what us do you a little bit about your dogs. Sorry, there's a bit of a gap there. What did you say? I said, what do you think? What are your thoughts? You're, you're a canine professional now. What are your thoughts? In regards to socialization? Yeah. Yeah, look, man, like I think things are certainly harder and, and have changed, um, but we can get resourceful. You know, mm. like let's just say, for example, I, let's say me personally acquired a dog now, I'll do everything that I would do in regards to getting used to a harness, getting up and down, walking around the street. I've got a busy road down the road from my house. I've got the park up the road, um, you know, so I will do my best to get them to have as much social experience with other people. If I can exactly. even have, I can even drop my, my dog off or my puppy off to my parents' house and let them have a couple of hours there as long as they aren't going to screw everything up. You know, that could be another yep. um, opportunity for them, you know. Um, if you have friends that have well-mannered, balanced dogs that are good energy for a puppy, then I would be encouraging that as much as possible. And you can do that at a social distance. You can put everyone on a long lead, whether it's in the backyard or in the park, mm. and you can give them experiences, you know. So, like, as much as it will be hard for some people, if you're immunocompromised and you can't leave the house and you've got a puppy, 
and that really does suck because you have obviously um, a lot more limitations than others. But as you said, you know, you can outsource someone to come down, pick the puppy up and spend an hour or two with, with the new person, whether it's a trainer or someone that you trust that knows what they're doing. So those are a couple of things that I would probably recommend. Yeah, and there's other things as well, like you can start creating forms of stimuli around the house, like create a cam curtain or things that go bump in the night. Effectively, what you want to do is try and be as creative creative as you possibly can. I mean, you've got things in your backyard and your shed that like lawnmowers and power tools and so forth. So there are plenty of platforms that you can have access to. For example, if you're living in a group of flats and you've still got a gardener that's coming around and doing gardening, um, go down and sit at the bottom of the stairs and let the puppy watch the gardener mow the lawn or clip the hedges or something like that. Let it have real life experiences you know, there are, like I said, there's so many considerations that we've got to think about. And yeah, there's people who are um, immunocompromised that we've got to be mindful of, of their situation as well. And so do they. Um, but, you know, like I said, make can curtains, you know, get empty bottles, uh, bang things around pots and pans, make little inside agility courses for puppies that they can learn to traverse different um, surfaces. Uh, they can experience a lot of things. There's a lot of work that you can do. We've got time and some people are going to have a lot of time on their hands right now. So it's time to start getting creative about things. Um, yeah, go on. Something that I thought, thought think about now, which is, even more um, important, especially for raising puppies, is that if you're going to be working from home for the next four to six weeks, months, whatever it is, and that puppy is with you 24-7 of the, time of the day, um, there's going to be big issues when people start going back to work. So um, a lot of my clients that I've been seeing now, I've been telling them to, um, to make sure that that puppy is spending some in- independent time in a crate inside the exercise pen in the backyard, etc. Because um, mm. I'm seeing a lot of them going, oh, he hangs out with me all day. It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome yeah. now, but it's not going to be great when you go back to normal routine. So I think that's that with the socialization for puppies is the biggest thing that, that we need to work on. Yeah, that's a, that's a conversation Pat and I had the other day on, on the podcast was talking exactly about that because um, building too much dependency up in you can be a huge problem that you'll find that life is going to return to normal. Uh, we are going to be leaving the house after that period of time and separation anxiety is a bitch to get rid of. Yeah, definitely. Mm. T- tell us what a little you, bit about Pat? your dogs. We did that again. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> you- Go ahead, bro. So, Luke, um, tell us about your perspective on this. I'm, I'm curious to, you know, your... Um, for, for me, look, I, I'm... Um, and, and my actually, my NDTF, my NDTF course is due to start in, in, in three weeks. Well, the, the home element, and then I'm supposed to be doing my prac. I had, to, I had to sign up for the Melbourne one because Sydney was all booked out. And so, for me, that's, that's another, adding another level of worry for me because it's like, am I going to be allowed to drive to Victoria in three months' time? You know what I mean? Like, stuff like that. And then also, am I going to be able to be out and having... Um, abilities to 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 spend time with dogs whether that's down at like volunteering at the shelter or that kind of stuff over the next you know 10 months while this course is on so um i've been speaking to panos a lot about you know what his advice is for what people should be doing around dogs and and that sort of thing but at the moment i I would say i am probably a little bit um a little bit worried about how that's going to pan out for me given that this course is supposed to start or it's starting at the end of april yeah, well, I mean, the, that is, again, it, it's a challenge that a lot of people are looking at how to reshuffle what they've got. And, you know, the NDTF are 
discussing this with all of us at the moment in in a, an aspect of can we change it to an online aspect at this point in time while all this is going on. Um, it makes it difficult, uh, but not impossible. Yeah, I'm. I think I, I do feel very grateful that I have that. Um, connection and relationship with Panos now and, 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 mm. you know, that he's been through it and he's a, a decade in the industry. So I, that, that gives me some um, sense of, I guess, reassurance. If I were to just any Joe Blow going into NDTF right now, I'd probably feel probably maybe a little bit more worried than I am. Mm. Yeah, it is. It, it does make it difficult, bud. Um, there's no two ways about it. However, there is also a, incredible time frame at the moment like there's a lot of people who are asking me the question you know like what should i do with my time right now uh and i find it profound that people are asking me that question but um nonetheless i get asked it so i'm trying to be helpful and creative for them as well and what i am saying to them is there's never been a better time for people to spend online time with other canine professionals there is an, a myriad of online access to some of the best trainers around the world right now because they're looking for work. You know, they're, they're not out and about doing um, a million and one different things. They're actually, you know, looking for how to change their life to an online um, consultancy base at the moment. So you, you've got access to people where you can call in and Skype people and set up a consult with them and you can learn a myriad of different things in preparation of when access to outdoors is coming back on again. I, I really think that um, we're overlooking some amazing opportunities that are sitting in our, our lap right now and I'm trying to encourage people to remember that out of something that is a little disjointed and disruptive to normal life and, it, yes, it has created um, a, a lot of negatives, there is some profound positives that are still... Um, presenting themselves and people just have to take up uh, those capabilities. It's like, it's like any bad situation. There, right? Sorry. <laughs> we keep doing it. <laughs> My fault. It's like you any know, situation, any bad situation, right? There's always going to be a silver lining. And like you're saying before yeah. about the, the news coverage, like if, it, if it bleeds, it leads, right? The news is always looking for the negatives. But if you step mm. back from that and you really think about it, there are a lot of opportunities at the moment for, for because you have so much time on your hands and you do have access, you know, amazing technological access to to the online world, be that YouTube or, or paying for access to a, a trainer or say someone something like you know the, the course that Pat designed and 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 did for the the puppy course. You can you can do that. You know, you've you've got all this time on your hand at home. If you're if you've just acquired a puppy, maybe you could spend the time doing that. If you don't have access to a trainer right now, so you've well, got to find that it- positive. Yeah, there's going to be some very creative people that are going to come out of this. And, you know, it's one thing that I, um, it's one of the, the many things that I, I try and say that is beneficial to people, uh, especially my staff, is that pressure creates diamonds. And I know that it also creates volcanoes. And that's the thing that we need to be mindful of at this point in time. But it does, you know, pressure creates um, some, some magnificent uh, infrastructure. I mean, if you look at the movie The Social Network about Mark Zuckerberg. I don't know how true that actually is, but from something that he felt pressure, he created Facebook, you know, a platform that was sitting there for the universities and they were using it to a very, very limited degree. 
um, change the landscape of, of social media and, and platforms that were able to reach out to each other. I mean, social, um, Facebook, I, I know there was MySpace and Craigslist and, and, you know, some of these other things that are around before, but Facebook really just emerged as a way for people to be able to tell their story in a completely different way. You know, let people know, this is me, this is this is who I am and be a little bit more expressive. Well, you know, people in the dog training world might be able to do the same thing. People who felt that they were overlooked or that they were never, um, never recognized as being a canine professional can now get creative and have access to those same tools where they can emerge as, you know, I do know something, I have a voice and I'm, I need to tell you um, some amazing and profound things that I've learned in my career at the same time. You know, that's the one thing about a lot of people out there is there are some people who do not have a magnificent voice who are stifled by their own insecurities, um, worried about that there are too many other amazing people out there. And that, that, that's terrifying and sad at the same time. Uh, you know, I mean, I won't lie. There was a time where I, when we were setting up the canine paradigm, where I just thought, ah, you know, people are already doing this type of thing. Why do we want to invent, reinvent the wheel? And I thought, you know, do, do people around the world really want to listen to two Australian guys talking dog stories and worry stories all the time? Mm. And yes. turns out they we, do. Well, you know, we're, we're very thankful and we have so much love and gratitude for the community that they really embraced us. And the, the one thing that Pat and I recognized is where our show is nothing without the people who get behind it and support it. It's, it's, it's recognition of, of the people around the world. And, you know, we need to remember that when we're, we're never above our community, we're part of our community. You know, we're not two rock stars or anything like that. We're just two guys who love talk, talking about training dogs who have been canine professionals for as long as we have in our careers that um, have a reach and have a voice and that was the important thing that we wanted to recognize is that there are other amazing people out there such as yourself. And, you know, I, mem- I remember the time Panos was telling me that he was thinking about doing a podcast. I said, yeah, man, do it. You know, I mean, Panos always struck me even when I first met him. He's just, he's just got this b- bewilderment and wonder in his eyes. He's just got this lovely childhood love of life, this passionate outlook to things. And I mean, I, I envy him for it sometimes because he does. He just looks at things with so much um, childlike enthusiasm. And it's one thing that as an adult we forget about and it, it pretty much can ruin your life if you're not careful because you don't look to be full of wonderment. You look to be full of criticism. Um, and that's a dangerous thing to happen. And that's – I mean that, dude. I really am uh, uh, appreciative and I really do have – yeah, well, it's 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 quite a skill to hang on to that, you know, especially in a in a world that we actually live in, where there are so many um, negative aspects to it. That you can have someone that still looks to the the positive thing, and and every time I see you going into a project, you, your eyes are lit up. You're so excited, you know. You're just so enthusiastic about it. I think that's wonderful, and and I really love that about you and I love that about other people in our community who still do get that excited about training dogs because it should never be just about the money. I mean, there's not many wealthy dog trainers in in the industry and some of them who are wealthy, well, you know, maybe they're, they're very good and maybe they're very, you know, more focused on the business aspect of it. They became, they became, 
you know, the 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 people in the the, the Tiger King realm who who spent more time focusing on, you know, um, building a, a business around it rather than than maintaining the love and the compassion where they started off. I think that's the an important ethos to remember in this uh, in this industry. Well, man, like you know, you have to always remind yourself what what, what brought you to on the journey where you're on, you know, and I think it's a, it's something that should be remind you should remind yourself as often as possible. Cause you can, you get, you get too caught up with the books and too caught up with what's happening on the, on the social Instagram and, and Facebook, et cetera. And, you know, you got to remind yourself that when you're with that one person, you know, like the way that I see it is, yes, I'm training dogs and helping dogs 100%, but I do this because dogs influence my life. And I want that dog, I want the opportunity that I have with that person and their dog for them to see the beauty in it so then they can reflect on their own selves because we are, you know, we're here to be of service to others. So I think that's really, really important. Well, we're he- we're helping people too. I mean, that, and that's predominantly what we're doing. I mean, unless you're taking dogs in for boarding and training and the, you're working in a kennel environment where you're pulling dogs in and out all the time, you're not so much a, a dog trainer as you are a people trainer. You're, you're educating people, but in order to do that, you have to resonate with them as well. And that's a, you, you never forget that your your all your clients are important people, and they all have a voice and a story as well. And I I try and remind people as I do on the NDT on the NDTF course as much as possible is remember to listen to them sometimes. Remember not to make fun of them or not to smirk about some of the silly things that they're doing. I mean. You know, they some of them do create entertaining stories for us at times, but a lot of these people are very insecure about what's actually happening. They're not the professional in this situation. They're the owner of the dog and they have invested time and money in you to say to you, I don't know anything about this. You know, I might be a rocket scientist, but I have no idea on how to get a puppy to toilet train or how to stop this separation anxiety issue that I've got or whatever the issue may be. And that's where you need to remember, no matter if you've seen it a million times before, it's still the first time this person has seen it. Because, Panos, that was a question that I recently got asked, and I do get asked periodically through the NDTF, is don't you get bored of this, doing this all the time? And if I'm being honest, there were times where I did get bored with it, but that was only because, not because of the course, that was just because I was being lazy about what I was doing. And then I remembered you know what? This is the first time that a lot of these people have ever had access to their own education. Like this is their, this is their springboard into the industry. So that in itself reminded me, you're in a privileged position here. Okay. You're not just somebody who's just sitting back, getting fat off other people, people's education. You are actually privileged that you're going to be one of the people who's going to make a significant impact on starting people off, you know, and launching them and preparing them for a career and helping them to set a business up. Don't be lazy, be enthusiastic, be inspiring, be somebody that people can count on. That's very important. Even if you're a sole trader doing that in your own dog training business is be somebody of measure. Know your know your topic, not well. Okay, don't be lazy. There is a lot of things that you can do if you just focus on being, you know, a, a, a dog and pony trick show where you're just echoing the same thing over and over again. You're not doing yourself any justice. All you've done is you've boxed yourself in. It, 
let, let me just cut back on that a little bit. I'm, I know I'm darting around, but let me just cut back on that for a little second. If what you're doing is successful and it, and it helps people and it doesn't, um, it doesn't go over their head too far, it is important to remember that you still need to set a style and a, and a, um, and a system in place that people can actually follow and not deviate too far from that. There isn't a, you know, there is a worldly expression, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, but what you can do is you can actually look for successful bolt-ons that you can add to that, that can take you to the next level. So when you do get people that have that level of preparedness in the industry and they have gathered up um, a level of skill sets that you can say to them, okay, now that you've done this, I've also got this that I've developed as well. Uh, and I think this is the next part of the evolution in your, in your training platform that's going to help you and your dog forge a better relationship. Yeah, bro. Look, man, like as a dog trainer, like obviously, you know, I met you, you were my teacher in NDTF and, you know, um, we, we, we've resonated with each other and you, and, you know, and you offered me a job to work at pet resorts and, you know, that in itself was big affirmation for me and that gave me that drive to continue moving forward because not only did my dream resonate with me, but also I knew that I had some sense of a, of a skill towards it. But, um, but, you know, as a dog trainer and talking about keeping your sword sharp is that, you know, one thing we, we mentioned on in, for dog trainers episode mm. was, um, you know, keep up to date with the new skills, with new knowledge and things like that. And what keeps you not bored of it is that you're, always you're developing and being better. I know I'm a better dog trainer today than I was last year, certainly five years ago, because I'm always trying to put the little things that I get put into practice, like understand it of what the theory of it was, watching it or learning it somewhere, and then experimenting it with my clients and their dogs. And you start to see some really awesome outcomes. Sometimes it's ordinary, you know, and you got to pick and choose and, and not keep on evolving just for the sake of it. Do it because you know, there's holes in your training program too. And I think that's what keeps it exciting and more riveting when you get to see clients on the daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the the most dangerous things that have happened to me along my career, I'll speak personally here because um, I can identify with it. And I know it happens with other people, but pride and ego get in the way of you having access to better information. And if I can offer any advice to people, regardless of dog training or not, if people out there have developed great skill sets, have access to better knowledge than what you currently have, never be too proud to drop them a line and even a compliment and saying, I really like what you're doing here. Can I pick your brain for half an hour? And sometimes you may need to pay for that. You know, it might not be complimentary. It might be something that they have invested a, a swag of time in and there might be a, a a price point attached to them, but again, you know, don't be, don't look at it as something. Oh, you know, I don't want to spend the money, or you know, I don't want to speak to this person, or etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Look at it as look at it as this will help sharpen the edge of my knife. You know, like a blunt knife won't it, it is is no purpose. It won't cut through anything. And what you're looking for is cutting edge. You know, and this is why the, the term cutting edge comes from. It's what we're looking for is the cutting edge in what we're doing. Like I said, it's important to have a good foundation. It's important to remember that that, that, that foundation, um, as effective as it is, is, is worthwhile and it's working. But if you can see somebody who can set you on a better trajectory and you're looking at it and thinking, wow, that is actually profound and it's something that I really think could benefit my clients and even myself as a, as a trainer or a professional, then 
have the conversation, make the time. I can't, I can't express the importance of that enough. 100%. Hey, before we wrap up, because we're getting a little bit long and I can talk to you all day, bro, um, but I'm sure we've got <laughs> things to be done. Um, but what, oh, really? what have, <laughs> one thing that I'm really passionate about is, you know, as much as I teach dogs to do things, dogs are teaching me a lot about myself. Um, and I, and I want to make an effort of asking this to every one of our guests, but what are some things that dogs have taught you? Oh, I guess there's so many things, but I think one of the things that dogs have taught me is to slow down a little bit, pay more attention. Uh, you know, when I, I talk about this in the importance of being incremental in training. I, I think that's one of the, the biggest and the most successful measures in, in training and being a better human is know when to stop and know how far you need to go in order to make the lesson valuable. Um, incremental training is, and, and what I mean by incremental training is, um, and you've probably heard me um, tout this term quite a little bit, over the, over the time you've been listening to the podcast or even doing NDTF with me is no more, one more time. You've just got to know when enough is enough. And that could be the same as having a conversation with your, your parent or your colleague or your child. When you've made your point, stop. You don't need to keep um, bashing on over the top of it. Anything else, it, more is not better. It's just more, you know, and I think that is probably, probably been one of the best things that I've learned from working with dogs is is know when to say when. That's awesome advice, bro. Thanks, man. Hey, one thing, hey, Glenn, been, Glenn, one yeah. thing I wanted to ask you, sorry, just quickly, with the with the sure. current climate as well, um, and it's come up a couple of times in the media, and it, like obviously there is a positive side to this, but they're saying that a lot of people are at the moment are going out and, and adopting dogs. So, you know, on one hand, I guess it's good that the shelters aren't overflowing, but part of me wonders if, if they're all necessarily doing it for the right reasons or whether it's some of them are just doing it to stave off their own boredom and then they're going to have issues down the track when they have to go back to work mm-hmm. and they maybe haven't, like Panos was saying, you know, they've built up some sort of separation issue with the dog or that sort of thing. What's your take on the whole situation? There's no doubt that people are doing it for the wrong reasons and the right reasons, and that's we're never going to eliminate that. Um, the The best thing that we can do is we can put out good material and send a good message out to people and hope that they will somehow get a hold of that and they will pay attention to what we're saying. That's the only thing that we actually can do. I mean, the difficulty is, and I guess this comes, is that people have free will. And they will do whatever they they feel is is right for them at that point in time. Um, and I guess that you know the, this is a problem for us when we're talking about people who uh, are advocates for other styles of training or even other styles of welfare and so forth. Is that sometimes we are disagreeable to it, but we're all coming at it from our place of love and. Sometimes people go out and they get a dog for all the wrong reasons and they evolve into something better. They, they actually do get hold of, of good information. They do start a pilgrimage of, of trying to do something um, to enhance the life of that dog. And there are other people who, you can, you, you, it's like the old saying, you can lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink. Mm. You'll give them all the signs. People will throw, excuse me, 
People will throw all access of information towards them um, and they just, either they're unwilling to see it or they're incapable of seeing it. And being the type of person that Panos is, and this is things that I learned from people like Panos and Bertie and, uh, and, and people who are more in touch with their vulnerability and emotion, is that you still have to forgive them sometimes and realise that they're not the villain that we've dressed them up to be. They're just lacking the education. I like that. Thanks, man. That's good. Thanks, buddy. One hundred percent. You've always been my mentor and, and a good teacher, bro. And um, anytime, and you know it when I'm when I'm stumped or not sure about something, I always um, look for your help because um, we resonate a lot together. That that means a lot to me, mate. And and I will say that out of many of the people I know. Um, and that's why I, when I was paying you that compliment before about your wonderment of life is that you've never been one of those people who's been too proud to reach out to other people. You've, you've always been so enthusiastic to try and collect as much information as, as you can. And, you know, like I said, I mentor people and they mentor me right back sometimes. You know, your Living Light um, page that you've, you've got for um, being a little bit more spiritualistic that's been inspirational to me, you know, and the conversations that you and I have shared, you might've come to me for some wisdom, but I've gained some from you as well. And that's, that's the great thing about mentoring is people is this is not a one way road. This is a two way road. You can, you know, you can gather insightfulness from other people. And I've learned just as much from working with NDTF students as they may have learned from me. In fact, you know, you asked me the question about, um, what have I learned from dogs? Well, I've also learned from students as well how to be a better man and a better person, a better teacher uh, from from the feedback and the lessons and the questions that I've received from people as well. And I think um, th- that's that's part of the joy and the enthusiasm of, of remaining in this industry. There are plenty of people out there who will um, do your head in, but there's so much more that you'll 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 get an amazing and access to you know some of the best people who become your family. It's just it's incredible. I love you, bro. I love you too. <laughs> well, um, let everyone know where um, they can reach out and find you. Tell us a little bit about the podcast and, um, and yeah. Well, if they're looking for training, they can reach us through Canine Evolution. Um, so it's canineevolution.com.au. Uh, if you're looking for uh, boarding training daycare, you can get us through petresortsaustralia.com. Um, you can... If you're looking for me on Facebook, I'm on Facebook. You can message me through there. Um, you can uh, you can reach us through the podcast, which is The Canine Paradigm. Uh, it's on all platforms. You can look at our website, thecanineparadigm.com. Uh, you, we interviewed you, I think, way back when, before you started um, yeah. your own podcast. And, uh, yeah, so that's predominantly how you can get in contact with me. So um, I'm still – I'm doing online consults with people at the moment. Um I'm I'm still trying to manage what we've got remaining with our with our um, boarding kennel and and daycare and and training, which has got been good. Some people have been needing some time away from their dogs, so they're sending them out to us for daycare. And uh, awesome. yeah, it is. It's a good platform that people still remember that you know part of not spending too much time with their dog. Um, it's important to spend time with your dog, but it's also, like I said before, it's important to know when to say when. So we're still offering that service available to people that if they do need uh, that that time away, we can provide it for them. Good to know.
All right, man. Well, uh, bet, we'll better leave it at that. You've been our first guest and it's been an awesome pleasure. I guess I'm working on my interviewing skills. I haven't, um, I'm still learning lots. Um, and Luke actually watching him and listening to him um, talk with guests on his other podcast, Our Human Condition, has taught me a lot as well and obviously listen to you boys. So um, I hope I've done all right uh, on my end. But um, we still we would love to have you on again at some st- stage in the future because I've still got heaps of questions um, and to pick your brain about a few things. But, um, but yeah, big love to you, man. Thanks heaps for coming on. Yeah, we'll no, get Pat on too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's been a privilege, boys. I really... Um, like I'm enjoying watching what you're doing. Uh, you, the main thing is 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 don't um, don't try and force it. Just let it evolve. Um, keep enjoying yourself. Like you two are having good conversations with each other. The content that you put out is very important. You know, there's there's all sorts of markets that's available in the in the dog training community. So you know, there are some for working dogs. There are some for pet dogs. The main thing is is find your niche. Just enjoy what you're doing and and have fun with it. Don't you know? There's no need to apologize to to, to people when you're still learning the aspect of it yourself. I mean, I, I listened to some of our older episodes on the canine paradigm and I, I just cringe when I listen to it because you, you change and you grow and you evolve so much and your technique changes as you're going through it. But that's part of the fun of it because it's, it is, again, it's an educational portal for us um, to be able to learn how to use media to get the word out there a little bit to people and to have some invaluable conversations with other people. Yeah, let's just give a quick nod to our, our good friend, um, Uncle Jordan. You know, he says you have to be willing to be a fool, right? And that's exactly what you're doing when you take on a new endeavor is you have to yeah. you have to be willing to get over those nerves and to step out into the unknown and, and, and to master a new set of skills. Like I, I was saying to Panos, you know, I listened to your first episodes, Glenn, where you interviewed Pat and he interviewed you. That I listened to those quite a while ago and then I went to go back and just have a quick listen to it yesterday and um, and just amazing how far even just like the audio quality of your podcast has come in, you know, 100-odd episodes. Like the first episode almost <laughs> sounds like you're recording it in your bathroom on, on your iPhone or something, you know, and now it's, oh, you've, got, you've got this amazing microphone set up and everything sounds like it's coming out of a, a full-on studio. So, it, But like you're saying, it's the importance of, of iterations, right? You couldn't have started with all this on day one or, or you would have been completely overwhelmed. Yeah, well, like it was a great learning aspect and it actually gave me a side interest to do, you know, like when people talk about being a dog trainer, people don't realize that I live at a boarding kennel. So I'm around large volumes of dogs all through my career. So when people think it's a novelty and they're going, oh, look at me, I'm training my dogs. I'm around dogs 24-7 seven days a week all the time and no regrets. I love it. You know, like I'm in and out of kennels during the night, especially when we're, when we're in peak season. So having um, the side interest and being able to learn something different was, was a fantastic distraction away from, you know, just being around dogs all the time. And, you know, again, I, I reiterate no regrets. I love being around dogs, but it is good and it is healthy to have other side interests. And yeah, yeah those, those first episodes, um, <laughs> they were terrible, but it was part of our learning trajectory. You know, it's learning from, um, it's the same way a baby learns to walk. They, they waddle around on the floor for a period of time. Then they start learning to get up and balance. And then finally, before you know it, they're running along. And that was, yeah. that was the fun for us doing the podcast as well is, yeah, we do listen back and, and, and cringe when we hear our early um, escapades and the, the sound quality is compared to now, but um, I wouldn't have it any other way. 
Awesome. Still, still learning. Awesome. 100%, my brother. Hmm. Well, on that note, I'm going to let you all leave. I'm going to get the baby and the dogs and we're going to go for a walk in the sun. Good on you, mate. Thanks for having um, Thanks for coming on, bro. And, um, and I'm sure we'll speak soon. Thanks, boys. Really appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another show of Life With Your Dog. Please like, rate and share if you're enjoying our podcast. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. For all dog training videos, tips and techniques, visit nooches Thank you and stay tuned for next time.